saying that to say this, I was just over there talking to Jacob, and um, I was bragging on my little girl. And so uh, this week, we um, there in Alabama, Lexi's my fishing partner. She's uh, the I got three girls, and so I thought, Lord, God must want me to give up hunting and fishing because He didn't give me no buddies to do it with. But it's funny because Haley is, loves to hunt, and Lexi loves to fish. So I got they they call it their special thing. So I get to spend that. So Lexi. Um, her dream was to catch a shark. That's what she wanted to do, catch a shark. And uh, we've been fishing all different kinds of fish. She's caught fish as big as her at times. And so she wanted me to put our name in to draw a permit in the state of Alabama. They give out 30 permits a week for uh, 12 weeks during the summer for you to go out. And they give you a 12-hour one to try to catch a shark. It's illegal to shark fish from the beach or uh, from any landmass in Alabama because they've only got a certain amount of beachfront. So I put her name in about three months ago, and they drew it, and she got a permit. And I was like, wow. So uh, the way the permit works, you get a 12-hour window. you got to show up. The game wardens check you in, and then you get to bring one, one associate with you, and you go fish. And so we went, and me and her went at 7 p.m., and we fished till about 3 a.m. a month ago. And we're talking about a little 10-year-old girl. She was down in Mountain Dews. Her mom don't know I let her drink Mountain Dew, but when we fish, I drink Red Bull, she drinks Mountain Dew. All right, so she was down there in Mountain Dew, stay awake, and we didn't catch any. And you could just see the disappointment on her face, because that was what she thought her only shot to catch a shark this year. And so as we were leaving, you know, the game was there, we checked in with them, and lo and behold, they gave us another permit because no sharks were caught that night. So... We got the permit for this week. So Tuesday night, which school's already started, so it was a night that I did not think we were going to get to do, but we knew it had to be a miracle when her mother agreed to let me take her on a school night to go shark fishing. But the deal was 7 to 9. <laughs> Basically, sign a contract at the house that we're going to be home by 9.30. We're going to leave at 9. And so we went and bought our bait, and we went out and started fishing. And... Um, when that's from 7 to 8, she had a couple hits, no bites. 8 to 8.45, nothing. And you could just kind of start seeing the, the disappointment set in on her. And so as it began to set in on her, I was counting every minute. And I was like, oh, God, please let her catch a shark. <laughs> Come on, Lord. Yeah, you get to begging when you want something to do. And so I was doing it under my breath. And it got to be 8.51. Right, we had a bonita, if, you, if you're talking about bonita, real bloody fish. We were chopping the bonita up, using it as bait, but crabs and everything else, you don't know what's in the water, so it don't last very long. So we got down to our last tail piece of, a, of the bonita. So we had the last tail piece, and we had nine minutes left. And when it was eight feet, I said, Lexi, I said, you know, maybe we can talk to them, try to see if we can get another permit, but, um, you know, we're going to have to go. And she says, Dad, God wants me to catch a shark. <laughs> I, said, I said, well, baby, I said, I believe he does too, but he probably wants you to do it next time. And she goes, no, I'm going to pray. And she right there on the front of this pier, she said, God, please let us catch a shark before we leave. All right. I had totally disconnected and I started packing up all the gear and all that because I knew we had to get to the car and get her. I was going to get in trouble. So I was packing it up and as I locked the tackle box up, put the ice chest in, walked over to it. She's holding on to the rod and it is pulling as hard as it can out toward the um, 
water. And so I grab onto the rod and say, real girl, real. So she, she reels and reels and reels and reels, which, you know, normally it would take forever to land one. But she landed her four foot shark at 8.59 p.m. And you could not believe how pumped this little girl was. I, I tell you all that. I was just telling Jacob that. But, but as soon as I walked off front, I felt like the Lord told me to tell somebody in here, you think it's too late, but it's not. Don't you get it? It's not too late. If he cared that she caught a shark, which did not change her life in any way, just gave her something to be proud that God did for her, this thing you're facing, he cares more about. And it's not too late. So I don't know who that's for this morning, but you need to know, it's not too late. It's going to happen. Amen. Well, let's jump in. You ready? Oh, um, in the process, I told you last week that I thought I was going to be preaching this other matter. I was going to tell you last week um, that I had a big announcement this week, and I want to make this real quick and to the point so I can jump into this message. I'm not going to give it the, the fanfare I was going to. I'll do it more into it next week. But over the last month here at the church, we've really been in a battle. Um, a battle which I didn't see coming and to the point of, you have you noticed they're fixing up the shopping center and stuff around here? Well, we received a um, call last month that said that um, you are in a place now that we want your space. There's a retail company that wants you guys space, and so we want you out. And so they were giving us 30 days to get out. Well, I knew that was not God. So... Instantly, I started praying about it, and I didn't tell anybody about it yet. Not using great judgment or wisdom. I held on to it for a week, thinking that I could just fight this thing and pray it through. So we went from 30 days to 21 days. Um, I mean, we had a month, went down to three weeks, and they were still told us we had about. But I knew, I thought I knew. I said, well, you know, we have a lease. We signed a 15-year lease here to be in this building. And I was basically told by the lawyer that I don't care. Get out, and we'll fight this thing in court. And, you know, we'll fight it for the next three or four years, but we want the space. So y'all have three weeks to be out. And so, you know, at that point, I reach out to Dad and the deacons, and we start praying and dealing with it. And, um, by the way, this is one of the reasons why we are pushing our membership classes and our next-level classes, um, because we need our own deacon board, and we need our own people that are connected into this campus to be helping us lead and navigate. And so that's why we're doing that. By the end of the year, we will be voting in our own trustee board here. But I need you to go through next steps so that you can vote, okay? <laughs> so you can pick who the Lord lays on our heart to govern us, okay? So long story short, um, get them involved. So then we, have, we reach out and we hire a lawyer. So we're finding out what our... Um, lease options are and what they can actually do and what we can do. Well, the truth of the matter is, with the way the laws are in Arkansas, you can get out and you can fight it later in court. You may win, but it's way down the road. And that's pretty tough on us. It took us three weeks to put the playground up. It would take us way more time than three weeks to get out of this building. But we were faced with three weeks. So then it went down to two weeks, and it went down to one week. And, man, I tell you... The stress was building. <laughs> Many restless nights on my end, uh, you know, praying, trusting God, trying to see what we could break through. And lo and behold, God began to move and He began to break through and He began to work. We still had seven years left on our lease here, or on our 
uh, what we had agreed upon when we came in, but there are new owners of the property since then. And so they um, decided that they didn't want to um, honor what we had signed. So out of that process, they offered us three years. Well, three years is not good enough for us because in three years... um, we haven't purchased land. We haven't even found land. I'm in the process now of trying to get our deacon board to help us make these decisions here. So here we've been working through all this and just kept praying about it, kept praying about it. And God began to move. And so what's happened now is instead of having seven years left in this building, we now have five years. And with five years left in this building, we, um, like I said, they, it was a rent increase, but it wasn't that bad. So I was like, you know, it was actually $1,100 a month rent increase from where we are. And I was looking at our lease in two years. It was going to reset 500 We have it in five-year increments in this building. Two years, we were going to reset our lease option up. would raise it up 500 anyway. So really, we're losing two years on the back end, but it's raising up. Um, so it's really we're, we moved up 500 extra two years early, which is okay, you know, but extended up to 1100 So we're about 600 650 over what we normally pay. And so I'm like, God, I know you're not wanting us to take a loss. I know, I mean, I have a hard time signing or asking our deacon boards to sign something that I just don't, I couldn't, they get to make the decision, but I get to ask, would you? And so I had to call the deacon board and I had to ask them, guys, this is what we got. Would you pray about it? And would you feel good about signing it? And I didn't feel good about that because I didn't want to take a loss. And then I sat down and I read the lease. And doesn't God just blow your mind sometimes? I mean, it just blew my mind. Because when we sat down and read the lease, I thought it was just a copy of our old lease moved in, but it didn't. There was one clause changed in it. And the clause that changed in it is, by assigning this new lease for five years, before we were in charge and financially responsible for all plumbing, all external maintenance, parking lot care, parking lot lights, uh, anything from the roof and above, anything from the walls and out. We, we carried... As a church, that's how we were able to get into this building in the first place. And so we carried the responsibility for it all financially. In the new lease, it says that we no longer carry the financial responsibility for the maintenance above the roof, outside the walls, parking lot lights, and to the greatest thing, the heating and air conditions in this building. (laughs) I have a signed lease. And Mr. Allen will tell you, we have stuck so many compressors on these air units up here that are $700 a pop. And that's just the compressor. That's not the $200 plus in Freon that we have. And we have, we have res- long story short, the $650 increase. If we look back over the, the records over the next five years of what we've spent just trying to keep heat and air that hasn't worked properly. And you're still sweating and you're still cold and all that. We will save money by this rent increase over the next two years, and it's no longer our responsibility. We're fixing to ride the next five years out in comfort, guys. We're going to get to ride out with heating, with air, with what it's supposed to be. I mean, just think God blow your mind on that. But also what He did was this. I had gotten comfortable here. And what I felt like the Lord told me was He's not comfortable with us being here. That's why... He's allowed us to come to this place because being here, we don't own a single square inch in this city. And, you know, until you own an inch in a city, the city does not belong to the Lord. That's why the hardest battle churches will fight is to own property. 
Because once they own an inch, the city has to fall. When Joshua and the army came to Jericho, all they had to do was get one house. One house. And it provided God a miracle to make the walls fall and the city was His. And what God's done now is He's set a goal before us. And you'll be hearing about it later. But our first goal is to get a governing body out of this campus. So I'm asking you, as a pastor, please go through membership class. Please, that's going to be the most important thing we can do this year is get you through membership class so that you at this point can help us vote our governing body that's going to, at the beginning of next year, we'll start a building fund. And I am believing God, by the end of the first year, we will own the property that God wants us to have. Then we'll begin the process of building and that will give us four years to see it to completion. Amen? You say, well, five years is a long time. What I've learned is the older I get, the quicker they go by. And so, if you're older than me, you're just a couple blinks away and we're going to be sitting in five years. And I believe this, in five years we're going to be sitting in one of the nicest churches in this city because God wants to use us to do great things. I will make more of a better announcement later, but man, just give God a big hand clap for what He's... You don't understand how much I've been praising Him. Because going into this winter, Mr. Allen will tell you, going into this winter... There really were no options for us with heat. We were fixing to have to invest ten to $20,000 on the roof of a building that was not ours. Because we have no heat up there anymore. The, the units are 25 years old. But not my problem. <laughs> Praise God. Right? It's just, he's so big. Alright, Jeremiah 29, 11. Are you ready? Yeah. Now, I know this is a word. I know it is. And so... Lean in and listen for what the Holy Spirit is about to say and do. Are you ready? Okay, in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven it says this, For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. It says, They are plans to bless you, not curse you. One of them says plans to prosper you. Plans of good, not of evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Now, if you are visiting with us at all, um, I am a man that believes completely in destiny. God has created each one of us for divine purpose and destiny. You're here because God needed you to be here. He didn't have you to take care of Him. I didn't have my girls to one day take care of me. But now that I have them, man, they bless me in so many ways and things like that. And so God don't, He didn't need you. He wanted you, but He put you here with divine destiny. There's a part of you that is going to change the world. Thing about it is most people live their life and they never fulfill that. The reason why they never fulfill that is because they don't understand where that part of them is. The Bible says that you were born for destiny. You were born for... He has plans for you. But see, we're always asking God, what do you want me to do? God, what, what do you want me to do? What is your plan for my... What, what's my destiny? What you put me here for? And you're trying to look outside here for it, but you need to know something. Your destiny is already inside here. The Bible says in Psalms 139 that He made you. And it says that in, in verse 13, it says, you, were create, you created my innermost being. He didn't create, He did create all this, but He created the part of the innermost side of me. He created inside of me something. You knit me together in my mother's womb. He put you together around something that He knew before the beginning of time. It says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. He breaks you down into parts of, if you're a builder, you understand that. That you can't put a frame up 
without there being a foundation established first. Your life was built on your destiny. Then He came in, He put you, your destiny was your foundation, what your life was built on. Everything about who you are, everything about what you like, everything about the way you think is your foundation and it was built on your destiny. Your destiny was your innermost part and He put a frame on that. The frame is what you are, but you were built on a destiny that God created you to have. And it says this, it says, My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days obtained for me were written in a book. There was a plan written before you were born for your life. And there's good news about it that Jeremiah 29, 11 is this. That plan will make you happy. For years, being a preacher's kid, I thought, man, if I completely sell out to God, that I'm going to be unhappy. If I completely sell out to God, I'm going to have to live that life that I see other people live, that I would not be happy being them. I would not be happy living the life my father lives, although my father is an amazing man. He loves God. He passionately serves God. And he's extremely happy. But I'm different. And you need to know something. You would probably be miserable if you lived my life. Because you're different. But the thing about it is, everything about you that would make you happy is connected to your foundation and your destiny. And so, your destiny is so amazing. And it's one of the things that if you would just step into it, you will be fulfilled in every direction. You'll quit looking for the fulfillment in everything else. It says, though, it says, How precious are your thoughts toward me, O Lord. You That God did not think bad thoughts about you. He did not, when He created you, make a list of, you can't do that, and you can't do that, and you can't do that. That. When he got his hands involved in you, he said, I'm going to make her like this so that she can do this. And I'm going to make that this and so she can do this. Everything about you that brings you joy is connected to the foundation and destiny that God built your life on. It says this. It says, how precious are the thoughts of you, O Lord. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I'm awake, I'm still with you. Now, if you've been on the beach, it says, you know, it says that he thought more about me than there were sands on the seashore. Grains of sands on the seashore. That's a lot of thoughts. They weren't random. For years, I thought God's thoughts toward me were bad. They were not. They were good. Because he says, I know the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. They're good, not of evil. Plans to give you future and a hope. God's never had a bad thought about you. God has never been disappointed in you. God has knows what your potential is. And God has set such a destiny in part of in, in for your life. He created it on the inside of you that when you understand that it's not random thoughts He had, but they come together and make a pattern and they make a plan, then you will understand why you are the way you are and why you think the way you think and why you feel the way you feel because it's connected to the foundation that God's built you. Now, this is not new, but we're going somewhere real quick. You need to know this. Your destiny is so great, you will not be able to accomplish it without God. You will not randomly stumble into you doing what you were created to do. It's not going to happen on accident. And you need to know this. It's not going to happen by your efforts. 
You cannot, your destiny is so much greater than you. You will not accomplish it without God being involved in this situation. That's why so many people never fulfill the destiny that God has for them. They love God. They'll go to church. But it's you getting God involved in your life. You giving God permission to lead God direct, to order your steps is what the Bible calls it. Now, the thing about it is when you tell people this, a lot of times people disconnect because they think, well, man, if God has really got a plan for me and He's really involved in my situations, then why in the world is my life look like this? And that's really what I want to answer today. Is why your life is where it's at right now. Because if you don't know this, you can be lost. Now, the other day, um, I had a, there's a guy, a member of our Gulf Shores church who's working on a house. And um, he called me and was like, hey, will you come out? We've got some issues with the structure of this house. Will you come out and look at it for me and um, tell me what you think we ought to do? I know what I think of it, but I was going to get a second opinion. And he told me uh, the address. All right, like an idiot, I drove where, as far as I knew to go, and I was planning on when I got to a certain gas station to touch the app on my phone with the address and then it drive me on in because I didn't know how to get to the house. And so... I got to that gas station. He told me it was out past a certain gas station on 181. So I got to that gas station on 181. I hit the button, and we were so far out there was no signal. So my map could not tell me how to get to this house. So he said it was out past this gas station. So me being me, instead of turning right around and going and get signal hitting map, I went past that gas station and driving on down 181. I went one mile, two miles three miles and did not see the house that he told me I would see. And I thought, oh no, I'm on the wrong road. He must have meant the other road on the 181. So got down there, turned around, went back to the gas station. Got in the gas station and realized, that can't be that road because that's just a driveway. So turned back around, went back down that road. This time one mile, two mile, three mile. Got about seven miles. Though. Man, I, I'm on the wrong road. So I turned back around, went back to the gas station and got to look and got to look and thought, I, it's got to be down that road. And I'm having all these conversations in my head. Got back in the car, drove back down. This time went 12 miles, didn't see the house. And that feeling of panic that, you know, I'm on the wrong road started hitting me and I'm going to be late. Started me on. And I just settled myself down for a minute and said, he said it was past this. He, but he didn't tell me how far. Got about 16 miles down the road and there the house was. How many of you guys have ever felt that way in life? You think you know what direction you're going, but all of a sudden you go a little bit and you, you get nervous about where you're at. So you go back to what you know and you're familiar with and then you'll go back out and go back out. I don't want you to do that. I want to try to lay out today. You are exactly where you're supposed to be. And you didn't get here alone. You need to understand, like it says in Luke one thirty-seven, for with God, nothing is impossible. Alright? We see that Scripture as being, man, there's nothing God can't do. You need to look at it today in this way. It's impossible for God to be doing nothing. He's not sitting in heaven. He's not twiddling His thumbs. He's not waiting on you to line up. He's not waiting on you to get to the right place. It is impossible for Him to do nothing 
Because, you see, nothing is impossible for God. So God is not on the sidelines watching you live your life the way you want to live it, and He's not involved. God is so involved in your life that this very minute, at this very place, at this very time, God has got you right here Right now. You say, no, Cricket, he don't. He don't. I, I came on my own free will. You may think you're running things, baby, but you're not. You may think you're in control of this car, but you're not. God is sovereign as He is in control. And I don't know about you, but I know this. You would not have woke up this morning if God was not involved in your situation. And the very fact that you're in this place, because you need to know this, probably a bunch of you didn't want to be here. You didn't want to go to church. So we know you didn't get you here. And I tell you this, the devil did not want you here today. Last place the devil wants you to be into the presence of God because it's where God can change you. You say, well, Cricket, I don't see God here. Well, the Bible says we're two or three are gathered together in His name. Don't even matter how good the preaching is. Just because we're here, He's here. And so you're in the presence of God. And because you're in the presence of God, things are changing on you right now on the inside. Because God, it is impossible for Him to be doing nothing. And before you got up this morning, He was working. And before you went to bed last night, He was working. And before you did this or you did that, He was working. God is working in your situation, whether you like it or not. And He's working for your good. He's working to make His plans come about. But a lot of times I wake up and I find myself in a situation thinking, there's no way God can be got, have gotten me here because things are looking so bad. So what do you do? When you know God's involved, you know God has a plan, and you know God is not sitting on the sidelines doing nothing, what do you do when you find yourself in a place that you don't want to be? Because I find myself in those places all the time. You need to know this. In Romans 8.14 it says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Now, there are two ways God's been involved in our lives. One way is He's been on the outside of your awareness, putting things, stopping things, working things on your behalf. And then he's up, there's another way He can work. He can be inside your awareness, and He can be leading you and guiding you and showing you what directions to go. Now, the Bible says this. The Bible says this is what separates children of God from non-children of God. Where you have God at in the picture. Is He outside the picture having to work around you, still for you, you're not aware of? Or is He inside the picture leading you beside still waters? Leading you to green pastures? Leading you through the valley of the shadow of death? See, God is involved in your life whether you recognize it or not. God is involved in your life whether you want Him to be or not. Because God loves you so much, it's impossible for Him to sit on the sidelines and do nothing. Now, Alexis is my testy child. She's moving into teenager thing. And me and her personalities, we're, we're both strong, deep personalities. And so, uh, that's dominant in the distance. We're very, and so, she, me and her will clash a lot of times. And we'll clash, and I'll get mad. And we'll clash, and she'll get mad, and we'll clash. But the thing about it is, no matter how much I'm disagreeing with her, 
I'm her daddy and I'm not going to let anything happen to her. I don't, she don't, we don't clash. I'm like, well, fine, kick her out the door and let her live and have to fend for herself. See, God, there may have been times you've been repelling God and pushing Him away, but He's a dad that loves you. And there's no way He's going to let you live your life without Him being involved and moving and doing everything He can possibly do to get you to a place where you can truly be happy and fulfilled. He's constantly at work and it's called, He's constantly, He's either working through others or He's leading you. Now, you need to know this. If the devil could, could have killed you up to this point, he already would have. The devil has not, because you can look back in your past, I'm sure, and find five or six places that you should already be dead. So what was it fighting on your behalf? What was it stopping? Because there were times I wasn't right with God that I should not have made it out of that vehicle. There were times I wasn't right with God. I shouldn't have got out of that situation. There were times, but I look back now and see the hand of God was constantly at work on my behalf, even before I had surrendered to His will. He was working through others, and He was working on my behalf. Now, we're going to get into this, and I want to go into it. I want to call it this. If this is God, then why is it like it is? Because we live our lives and we're to live it by being led by the Spirit, is what the Bible calls it. It's best shown in the example of um, when Jesus had just been baptized. In Matthew chapter 4, we pick up the story where Jesus had just been baptized. He'd just come out of the water. And God had just said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That had just happened. And the Bible says that the Spirit came down like a dove. Holy Spirit came out and lit on Him. Then we're going to pick up and read in verse 4. It says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, you need to understand that the Bible says, As many are the sons of God, they will be led by the Spirit. Now, what do you do when the Spirit leads you into a wilderness? How does it feel when you're, you're trying to do everything you can do to serve the Lord? You're trying to do everything you can do to be what God's made. You're trying to do everything you can do to be obedient to Him. But all of a sudden, the Spirit leads you into a place that it does not look like God's involved anymore. The Bible says the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Then it gets worse. Because it says, to be tempted by the devil. What do you do when the Spirit leads you into a wilderness that there's a devil in? What do you do when you, when you wake up and the Spirit has led you into your marriage and there's a devil in it? Or when you wake up and the Spirit gave you your kids and they get up one day and there's a devil in them. <laughs> Or when you go to work, you walk in the building, God blessed you with that job, but there's a devil in that building. Or well, I'm not talking about the little red heart, I'm talking about when an attack is involved in the blessing that God has given you. What do you do? And so today I want to kind of try to lay this out. Why did God do it this way? Because if you don't, if, if, a lot of times if you don't have the clear directions, you can, you'll get down a certain road like I did the other day and you'll think you've went far enough and it should be showing up here and something should be changing, but it didn't. So you'll turn around and go back. Or I don't know if you've ever done that. I've done that a lot in my life. I, I'm a, like I say, I'm ADD and I'm ADHD. And if it don't happen quick, I'm already trying to change my mind about it. And so 
a lot of times I find myself in situations when it doesn't look like it was God. What do I do? And turning around is not an option, guys. It said this, it says, Then Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Alright, the Spirit led him into a wilderness, got him into a place that does not look like God's involved. So what was his knee-jerk reaction? Seek God. <laughs> yeah, when I read this, I was like, you know, God is, uh, God, Jesus is acting like I do a lot of times. You know, he wasn't fasting before he got into the wilderness, but God was pleased with him. He wasn't living to sin, but a lot of times I, I, I will find myself in a spot that does not look like God's been involved in this thing. And the first thing I do is drop to my knees and I start seeking God. God, I need you to help. I, for 40 days, he was seeking God and no answer. You ever been there? When you're in a spot where, your life is a wilderness and you've done everything that you knew to do, but you still found yourself in this kind of a spot and you've been crying out and seeking God, but nothing's changed. Well, you need to know something. The very fact that you're in that wilderness is because the Spirit led you there. And if God led you somewhere, He's got a plan for it. And that's what I want to kind of try to lay out for you this morning, what that plan is. It says, so he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards, he was hungry. He was hungry. He, he was empty on the inside. He was unsatisfied on the outside. His strength had failed. His, his desires were unmet. Things around him and his circumstances still hasn't changed. But yet God led him there. Well, what is the answer to a situation like that? Well, then it gets worse. It says, And now the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then the devil took, up, took him up on a holy city, set him in the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory. And he said, of all these things, I will give you if you'll just fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Let's get into this hopefully in a new way. Father, God, I ask you to open the eyes of our understanding right now. Holy Spirit, I feel your presence in this room. God, I want to give you permission to move on us and do a work in us that only you can do, O oh Lord. Thank you for using the word today as it goes forth in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you do when the Spirit leads you into a wilderness, number one? Well, the only reason why God allows us to get into these kind of places is because God wants you to know your destiny is so great that you will not be able to accomplish it without Him. So wilderness places cause you to have to depend on God. Because if life was hunky-dory all the time, you could try to live it without needing God.
Now, I don't know how long you've tried to live your life without needing God, but the thing about it is this. If you haven't come to the end of your rope yet, you will. Because you were never designed to not serve and live for God. You were designed with the destiny that takes God being involved in your life for you to accomplish it because He's going to use you that greatly. Next thing is, what do you do when the Spirit leads you into a wilderness and there's a devil in it? Why would God do that? Because God leads us into these places so that you will get an understanding that you have authority over the devil and that God has already defeated the devil and the devil can't stop you. As long as the Spirit of God is leading your life, can't nothing stop you. If it's a God thing, the Bible says in the book of Acts, it can't be stopped. It doesn't say that the devil won't come against you. As a matter of fact, the Bible says no weapon formed against you. That means there are going to be attacks. There are going to be things the enemy tries to do. There are going to be issues. But the thing about it is you can't lose. You got to settle that in your heart right now. You might be in a wilderness going through a certain situation. You might feel empty. You might not have your desires met. And you may not feel super strong right now. But you need to know this. You're not in this wilderness alone. God is in this. If He led you into it, He's going to lead you out of it. The thing about it is, you get the benefit of getting out of it what God wants you to get out of it. Because He never leads anybody anywhere without purpose. Anywhere He takes you. There's something for you right there right now. So if it's bad right now to you what you're seeing you need to change the perspective of this thing. The Holy Spirit is not a wife beater. He does not punish His church for no good. He's not mean. He leads you into places so that He can change you so that you can fit the suit that your destiny looks like. And so God is leading us into this place. Now, this is what the Bible says. God has a process at work. Everything God does is a process. When He created at the beginning, He made it. But then He did not make it to duplicate itself within process. As a matter of fact, what He did was when He created the garden, from that point on, a process began to work. And it's the process of a seed. Now, Romans eleven seventeen says this, But if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive. I'm not even going to go any further. That's as far as I want to go. I want to try to explain the process to you real quick. This morning, there's some in here that are going through a wilderness time. And you're thinking that maybe God's mad at you or you've missed God somehow. Or maybe you're off direction or maybe you, you're just going wrong or made bad choices. You need to listen to me. You may have made some bad choices. But you're here right now because the Spirit led you here. It means He's still involved in your life. And if you're in a wilderness, God is going to do something in your life. I want to explain to you what God's about to do. You're an olive. Let me pop this over. You're an olive. Now, why would God call us an olive? God never calls people anything unless there's a purpose or a message behind it. Okay? So you're an olive. Now... What you need to know about what you are is this. You are a destiny, but your destiny is so great you can't accomplish it without God. So God created you just like He created everything in a process. The process of God is seed. Everything living on this planet comes from seed. Plants come from seed. Animals come from seed. You and me come from seed. It is the process of God. Now you need to understand this as well. You came from seed. Your destiny will come from seed too. You will just not 
wake up one day and it happen. There's a process that you're going to go through for that destiny to come about. Inside of you right now is a destiny, but it's not in the form of full-blown, you're living the dream. Right now, if you're still here, on the inside of you is a process. It's a seed. Your destiny is in seed form. Why has it got to be in seed form? Because you'll never accomplish your destiny without God being involved. And so the way God gets involved in your life and in my life is a spiritual term called the anointing. What the anointing is, the anointing is a power of God that He puts on us. That gives us the ability to do things we couldn't do. And be things we couldn't be. Your destiny is bigger than you. You will not accomplish it without the anointing that God has put the ability for you to carry on the inside of you. You're an olive. On the inside of you today, there is an olive. You are an olive. And what takes place is this. If you're in a wilderness, you're in a process. If there's a devil in this wilderness, you're in a process. Jesus had to be led by the Spirit into a wilderness where there was a devil because even Jesus had to go through the process. And this is the process. The anointing in the Bible was represented by the anointing oil. The Bible says actually in First Samuel chapter 10 that, let me give you a picture of what anointing does. The Bible says this is anointing oil. Alright? This comes from this. So, this comes from this. This represents us. This represents the power of God at work in your life. And the Bible says this, that the anointing, that the, in the book of Samuel, Samuel, who was a obviously an attractive guy, so I can relate. Um, I can relate because he lost his anointing. And I should have lost mine many times. All right. But no, the Bible says in the book of First Samuel that there was a, a very handsome man, but let me tell you what he did for a living. He was a donkey herder. He was a donkey herder. You, you, you wouldn't, when you, when you look at Samuel's life, I mean Saul's life, and uh, you, you think, alright, this is a king. There were people that said, yeah, he's taller than everybody else, he's handsome. But when you get into his resume, he was a donkey herder. Is what he was doing until Bob, the Bible says that the children of Israel cried out saying they want a king. So they let them pick a king. i got to be honest with you. If I'm going to pick a king, I'm not going to pick a donkey herder. Because all he knows how to do is herd church people. <laughs> no, I'm playing. That's funnier in my head. No, he's a donkey herder. And they said, we want a donkey herder to be our king. And God looked at a donkey herder, and I want to show you the power of an anointing. Because the Bible had a donkey herder that was not even a good donkey herder. Because as a matter of fact, he was herding his daddy's donkeys, and he lost some of them. And so we pick up on the story, this professional donkey herder that was not real good at his job because he had lost some of his daddy's donkeys, was out looking for the donkeys. And so it wasn't like they just got out of the fence. He obviously wasn't paying attention, doing his job good at all, and it had gotten real bad, and he was probably getting facing the thing, if I don't get these donkeys, I'm going to be fired. So he was going through the mountains and going through the country trying to find these donkeys. And then lo and behold, there come a prophet of God showed up with a flat of all. Actually, history records it being seven quarts. And the Bible says that when Samuel opened up the flask of oil and he poured it over Saul's head, the anointing ran down his head, down his face, down his beard. And when it did, it said he became another man. The anointing of God has the ability to make us what none of us could be on our own. 
Saul was a donkey herder and he couldn't even take care of his donkeys. Now God was positioning him on a throne and he couldn't even take care of donkeys. What made you think he could take care of donkeys? Nothing. But the Bible said, and if we would have just stuck a donkey herder up on a throne, he would have been losing people probably worse than we lost donkeys. But because there was an oil poured on his head that came from the top of his head down his face and it covered him. It was called an anointing. The anointing, the Bible says, made him something that he could not be and it gave him abilities that he did not have. It says when the anointing came on him, he became another man, one translation says, and he began to prophesy and the Spirit began to flow through him. This was a donkey herder. There was no reason for that to be able to take place other than he hadn't been to prophetic school. He hadn't been spending his days learning how to run a kingdom or a church. He hadn't been to West Point. He was herding donkeys and the anointing changed everything. You need to understand that anointings aren't free. But you were born with one. And because you were born with one, there is an ability on the inside of you to be something you can't be and do something you couldn't do. To allow God to flow through you in a way that you do not deserve. The thing about it is each one of us were born and called to carry anointing. Now the problem with it is this. A lot of us don't understand the importance of an anointing. And so we take it for granted. You need to know something. The reason why you're struggling with the things you're struggling with and you can't get victory in the areas of things you can't get victory on, you can't quit doing that, you can't stop doing this, and you can't, it's because you're not carrying your anointing. The Bible says in Isaiah that it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. If you don't have an anointing on your life, then you may can do right for a certain amount of time. You may can bare knuckle it for a little while. You maybe can bite your tongue. You maybe can keep from saying, but if you don't get an anointing is going to be you doing it and eventually you're going to find yourself in a wilderness with the devil in it and you're going to be crying out to God. You're going to be weak in state and when it comes about that way and there's not an anointing, you won't have the power to be something that you're not. I've never expected anybody to be able to quit drinking. Never. Because, i got to be honest with you, we can't do anything in our own power. Kenneth, was able to quit drinking. I watched the day it happened when an anointing was if what was it, thirty year drinking? Thirty eight year alcoholic. And I'm gonna be honest with you, he couldn't make it a day and couldn't make it a service. There were many services. He had a big cup in here. He couldn't do it until I saw the anointing break on him one day. And it's been what, a year now? Year and a half without a drink. How could that happen without... Re- I, me and him got an argument right here. I said, you need to go to rehab. And he says, no, I don't. I need to stay in church. I said, you need to go to rehab. He said, no, I don't. He said, hey, we got an argument about it. And I said, fine, in 30 days, we'll know which one of us was right. And an anointing broke in his life. And he was right. He never drank again. How could that happen? How can that happen to certain people? How can that happen at certain times? They can't do it on their own. If he could have quit drinking, he'd done lost marriages. He'd done, he had just been in a DWI accident, almost took his life and ruined his family's financial situation. It was a mess. If he could have quit it, he would have. I've learned this. If people could quit sinning, they would. 
Because most people that have sinned for any length of time knows the price that they've had to pay to keep that sin. But the thing about it is people can't stop doing what they're doing without something on the inside of them changing. You can't just will it away. You have to get to a place where God releases an anointing on your life. And when He releases an anointing, you become another man. You begin to do things you couldn't do. And the Spirit of God can flow through you in a way that you can, He empowers you for destiny. The reason why you've not been able to do right is because the anointing hadn't been released in your life. And so, I'm here to tell you, God leads you into wildernesses because He positions you into places. Because He knows the anointing and the potential you carry if the anointing can be released on your life for you to be what you could never be and do what you could never do. Now, the Bible says this. The Bible says... In Luke 4.18, it says, Even Jesus proclaimed this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Jesus couldn't even preach the gospel to the poor till there was an anointing released on His life. Because we, we for, 33 years, for 30 years, we, couldn't, we didn't hear Him doing miracles. It wasn't until there was an anointing release. I'm going to show it to you real quick if you'll stay with me. It says, to preach the gospel to the Lord. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus had never healed the brokenhearted. Oh, I kicked them out. He <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he healed the brokenhearted. It says, He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. It's the anointing that gave Jesus the ability. Now, let me tell you how important anointing is. The Bible said that there were ten ladies. Five were smart and five were stupid. Alright? The Bible says, Bible says five knew the power and the need of the anointing. So the Bible says that they knew the Lord was coming, knew the, the husband was coming, so they allowed themselves to get prepared and they made sure that they had enough oil when He arrives. There were five that thought it wasn't that important. Didn't realize the importance of being there. They were virgins, but they were to become brides. And without the anointing, they couldn't do it. Didn't matter how bad somebody wanted them to. Didn't matter how bad God was wanting them to be that. Five foolish virgins could not become brides because they did not understand the value of an anointing. And if you think you can get through your life and be what God's called you to be without an anointing, I'm not going to call you stupid. I'm just going to say, look at the virgins. And so you need to know that the anointing's worth paying the price for. You say, well, Cricket, how do I get the anointing? I am so glad you asked that question this morning because the anointing comes from olive oil. In the, olive. In the Bible, the anointing was always represented by the olive oil. This is what they would pour on the heads of people. Kings. They would pour the oil. It would turn donkey herders into kings. It would turn... Let me, let me go this far and say this. It would turn a shepherd boy into a king and it's kept him a king even though he had an adultery and killed a guy. The anointing does not... It goes beyond our understanding. It will use you... And I'm going to say this. Scott, right back there, I watched Scott come into this church. I watched Scott start going through the process of anointing. I watched him battle cancer this year. And I watched him one teacher of the year this year because I watched an anointing be released in his life to do what he couldn't do on his own. I'm here to tell you, the anointing will change things. 
Now you say, well, how do I get the anointing? It comes from the olive. And the Bible says you're an olive. It comes from the inside of you. It comes from what's going on. But the thing about it is most people don't like the process of the anointing, so they don't want to go through it. You say, well, what's the process of the anointing? Well, the first thing that happens in an olive's life for it to get turned, to go from this to that is it gets picked off of a tree. It gets separated from what it's used to. And you're wondering why God is making all these things around you not work or why bad things are starting to... For all the things that you've built up around you are starting to collapse. You are going through a separation process. God is picking you out of the life you've built, the life you've, you've created for yourself, and He's moving you to a place where you can be what you couldn't be. And if you want to fight the process of getting picked, then guess what? It's going to be a hard road for you because God's going to constantly be at work outside your awareness, working on your behalf to lead you into a place where the anointing can be released. And so He's always working. He's, you, you will get going towards something, you'll think you got it figured out, you'll think you got it worked, and all of a sudden you'll get there and it falls apart for no reason. And you're like, why? Is God mad at me? No. God is trying to get you to a place where you will allow Him to pick you out of your situation and separate you. I'm just going to kick that over. Separate you into a place for Him to be you. You were picked for something great. Everybody say, I was picked for something great. And then when you get picked, it's a separation season. And it's not comfortable. And it's not familiar. And you wonder, you'll be wondering, why has God got me right here right now? Because you've been picked. And it is a good thing. You are special. You are, have the ability to be anointed. And God's going to use you to do great things. You've been picked. Next thing that happens is you get stripped. Because you need to understand something. The oil doesn't come from the fruit. And this is the part that's hard. He picked you. He took Jesus out of the crowd and put Him in the wilderness. He picked Him and separated Him. And Jesus did just like me and you do start crying out to God, praying and fasting for 40 days. God, why would you do this? Why would you do this? Then He realized, when the devil shows up, you need to know, God's not mad at you. You're at the right place at the right time. Jesus, you didn't see, you didn't see Jesus praying and fasting when the devil showed up because He recognized, God's got me right where He wants me. And so He got picked, but you can't let the anointing flow as long as you're covered in flesh. So what He does is He picks you and He strips you. To get the olive oil out of an olive, it doesn't come from the fruit. The fruit has to be pulled away. And I've got to be honest with you, I don't care who you are, that hurts. That hurts. Because what most of us have done, we have built our lives to be covered in a way that we protect ourselves. We, we built walls and barriers around us that... You know, from past hurts or past letdowns or past mistakes, we built this comfort zone that is built completely out of our soul and out of our minds. And what has to happen before God can release the anointing, that's got to be pulled away. And some of you are in here today, and you're, you're going through a tearing, and you're going through a ripping and you think that you've done something wrong or you think that God has not been involved or you think God has failed you in some way. No, you need to... He's preparing you. He's preparing you. And He's not meeting your need or your desire. Does not mean He's mad at you or He's abandoned you. He's preparing you. He led you here so that you can get ready. Now see, if, if the oil came from the flesh, the fruit... It wouldn't be called oil. You know what it would be called? Wine. 
Because when you get wine, you squish the grape. When you squish the grape, I can always tell when I'm going through or when somebody else is going through a stripping away. Because when you talk to them, all you hear is wine, wine, wine. Wine, wine, wine. I know their flesh is being ripped. And you get a choice at this point, at this moment. Do you let your life stay at a wine level? Because i got to be honest with you, even wine in the Bible has to have a new skin. So it's not going to be easy either which way you go. You can choose to submit to the process, or you can fight the process, but you're going to do a lot of whining, and you're still going to end up in the same situation. Because God is at work on the outside of your situation, causing things to work to bring you to the point where your destiny can be released. So first it's the stripping, but then this is where it's hard. After they strip it away, they don't milk the seed. The way they get the oil out of a seed is they put it on a table and they take a stone and they roll that stone and it's called a wine press. And what happens is that oil is buried in every part of fiber of that seed. So that stone rolls up on that seed and it puts so much pressure for the, it's the right amount of pressure for the right amount of time. And when that seed sits under the right amount of pressure for the right amount of time, all of a sudden before it shatters, there's a drip of oil that drops out. And when that drip of oil drops out, everything changes. I look back at my life and I found myself in places where, man, the weight of the world seemed like was on me and it was pressing so hard. And it felt like it was everything I could do to keep standing. It felt like there was no way I could change anything about what was going on. And I would try to be strong and I couldn't. I would try to do what's right and it was still crushing me. And the weight got so heavy that I thought it was going to destroy me. But I look back and God was faithful every time. Every time that I held on, I changed. Every time I gave up, my life shattered. And I would find myself going through anointing seasons at different times because your anointing is for each season. Just like wine says, so don't can't put new wine in old wine skins. Every season has a new wine. Every season you're in will have a new anointing. So I'd like to say you're going to go through this process one time. You won't. You'll go through it every time the season changes. But every time the season changes, your destiny gets bigger. That's why in Isaiah it says, Lord, stretch my cords, enlarge my tent, because the foundation that you were born on will get bigger for your destiny to expand. Now. I want to show it to you in this story. Real quick. You get picked, you get separated, and you get crushed. This is what I'm calling insight into the process. Jesus, when He found Himself in this situation, the first thing the devil did was come at Him. And I don't want to really look at what the devil came at Him with. I'd rather know how to get through it. Not what's going to come at me. And when the devil came at him the first time, this was Jesus' answer. How to get through the anointing. I mean, how to get through the process. He said, man shall not live by bread alone. You need to hear this. Natural things will not fix 
this situation. Natural things will not fix this situation. This is a supernatural process happening in your life. And if you keep relying on natural things, if you keep relying on alcohol just to let you get through the stress of the day, if you keep relying on drugs just to get you through the pressure of what you're dealing with, if you just rely on relationships, if you're just relying on a new job or maybe a better raise or borrowing this or finding a new relationship or getting into a new marriage, natural things will not fix an anointing problem. The Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone. Whatever naturally you've been doing in your past will not work anymore. You shouldn't have come to church today. Because I'm telling you right now, and once you know, you know. And you can't get it out of your head. What you've been doing has not changed your situation is not going to work. So you need to decide to let this situation change the way you've been doing it. And naturally, it's not going to work anymore. It's going to have to move into the supernatural. You say, well, Cricket, how do I move it into the supernatural? He said this, man shall not live by bread alone. No, no, no. You will only live by the Word of God. Let me tell you what makes you what God's created you to be. The Word of God that you put on the inside of you. If you were to take me right now and suck out every one of the Scriptures that my parents put in me and that I was given in church services like this and that were poured into my life since I was a little child. If you were to pull every one of them out, I can promise you this right now. I would either be in hell or I would be in jail. But the reason why I'm not is because natural things will destroy your life. But supernatural things will change it. Whatever you put in you will do something to you. And so if you put alcohol in you, you're going to get a buzz. If you put drugs in you, you're going to get high. If you put junk in, it's going to put junk out. If you put the Word of God in, the Word of God is quick and sharp and it says it will separate the flesh from the Spirit. It will cut away what shouldn't belong in your anointing. And what will happen is you will get yourself to a place where you will begin to be and do what you couldn't do. I tell I told a guy this this week. He told me, man, I just can't quit taking it. He was addicted to pills. I said, you want me to tell you how you quit? He said, how? I said, start learning more of the Bible. He said, man, that's not going to help me. I said, yes, it will. Because the Bible says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Jesus said, you're not going to live by natural. It's going to be supernatural. Make a decision to do something supernatural. Number two, natural thing done. He said, man, shall I live a bit alone? Number two, what you do in these seasons is going to take complete submission. You just got to decide He's the boss. You just got to decide He's the boss. And if He's the boss, you don't use His words against Him. Your kids ever done that to you? Mine have. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I would, we would be somewhere... Going and full intentions, I'd be like, hey guys, uh, when we get home, we'll get ice cream. Alright, then things will happen, situated, and we'll get home super late. And um, when we get home, I'll be like, alright, we need to go in and go to bed. And they but dad, you said we get ice cream. And I know if I stop at that moment and give them ice cream, in the morning when we get them up at 6 to go to school, it will make their day tomorrow miserable. I say that to say this. God never changes His mind. God never changes His Word. But here in this Scripture, the devil said, hey, throw yourself off this cliff because didn't God say that He would give your angels charge about you to keep you in all your ways? And Jesus said this. He said, don't... the bar." The, 
For it's written, don't tempt the Lord your God. Quit arguing with God about Him doing it the way He wants to do it. You just got to let God do it His way. And if He's the boss, He's got permission to move people out of your life and put people in your life. And He gets permission to take one job and put you in another. If He's submitted, I mean, if you're submitted to God, you don't tell Him how to do it. He will lead you into what He has you to do. And it will get you to a place where you can be anointed to be what you couldn't be. You gotta surrender. Quit arguing your way. Quit arguing it. Samson thought he could do it his way and live under an anointing. Do you know what happened? Because he lived his way, dated who he wanted to, and did what he wanted to, the way he wanted to, he died way before he was a potential was ever made. Do not waste your anointing on arguing stupid things. God knows what's best for you, and He will lead you into what's best for you to be what you need to be. Last thing is this, and then we're going to pray. He said this, He said, the third thing you need to do in a situation to have the anointing released in your life. The devil said, hey, you can have all this if you worship me. He says, get behind me, devil. He said, get out of here, devil. For it is written, you shall only worship God. If you don't do anything else right in this season, the only thing you have to get right is worshiping God. If you don't do anything right but worship God, that's all you have to do. Because when Jesus decided in the middle of this wilderness, in the middle of these temptations, in the middle of this attack, in the middle of this heat, in the middle of this time I'm weak, I'm going to only worship God. And if you will move yourself to... Could it be... Could it be that your anointing is connected directly to your destiny, but your destiny is connected directly to the level of praise that you can praise before you live that destiny when you learn that your life is only about worshiping God. And you don't do anything else but worship God. You don't have to worry about hey, Pat, how to pay the bills. Worship God. You don't got to worry about how to hit fix her or get her right. Worship God. If you don't do anything, there have been times where I did not know how to do anything. I did not know how to pick my head up off the pillow. But what I had to decide at those times is I can do everything else wrong, but I'm going to worship God. And God got me through because what happens is this. In the middle of worship, the Bible says God inhabits the praises of His people. And when the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jesus, it anointed Him to to the men the brokenhearted. It anointed Him to open blind eyes. It anointed Him. And so if I can't understand why I'm in a wilderness that's full of devils, then what I need to do is understand God is doing a process and the thing I need to be concerned about is worshiping God. Because when I worship, the Bible says this, when I worship, the Bible says that the presence of God comes in. And I have felt it. I have physically felt it. And if you look back at times in your life when you were in those desperate situations, I can promise you could feel it too. But you would find yourself in that spot and everything was crushing you, crushing you, crushing you. And you got you made a decision to give up or you made a decision to praise God. If you praise God at that moment, you felt it. 
I've physically felt times when I couldn't do anything but just say, God, I worship you. And I would feel it begin to want a peace. Or the best way to describe it would be a warmness could start coming over me. And I would be able to leave that sitting different. And I could handle things different. What happened in that wilderness right there was Jesus went through a process and an anointing was released on Him. Because you need to know this. Without God, you can't beat the devil. But when God's on your side, you can't be beat. And the anointing that God will release in you through these seasons will give you the ability to know that the devil's a liar and the ability to know that he's defeated. Jesus walked out of that wilderness knowing that if I see somebody sick, the devil can't stay on them anymore. Jesus walked out of that wilderness knowing if they're dead, the Spirit of God can raise them. He come out of that wilderness knowing the devil could not win. Fast forward, Garden of Gethsemane. The book of Luke calls it the Mount of Olives. The word Gethsemane means olive press. If you go over to Israel right now, there's a hill that's planted with olive trees all over it. At the bottom of that hill is a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. That night in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus in the wilderness was anointed to be a miracle worker. He was anointed to be a Word of God speaker. And He was anointed to be worshipped. Did you see the three things? The first one was... It was, he said, the word is what's going to be in me. Second one, what he did is he walked up and said, Yeah, I'm going to submit myself to God. And what happened, I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to submit under him, and he's going to be able to use me. Thirdly, what he did there was he said, I'm going to worship God, positions me into a place to fulfill destiny, and people will worship me. And they did. Now, for three years, he walked and talked under that anointing. Do you understand? He was a great teacher. They said, who do, you say that, who do they say that you are? You're a prophet. You're a teacher. You're a miracle worker. But he did not come to be a prophet, teacher, and miracle worker. Season changed. And when season changed, so did the anointing. He was no longer to be a prophet, teacher, miracle worker. He was sent here with the destiny to be a Messiah. And before he could go into Messiah anointing, he went into the olive press. And when he got there, the pressure got so heavy and so hard. And the Bible says, he turned to his friends and said, please come and pray with me. He started acting just like he did in the wilderness. He started crying out and seeking God. Alright, so he said, come with me. And this is what it said. It says that Peter, James, and John went with him into the garden and they were praying. Then it said this, they kept falling asleep, they kept falling asleep. You need to know this, nobody can get your anointing for you. You're not going to be able to run around with people to be able to release their anointing. You're going to have to allow God to do the work in you and you will have to be separated for that anointing to flow. It don't matter what everybody else is doing. It don't matter what everybody else can get away with. you got to decide to be different. And the Bible said this, Peter, James, and John, they were all standing together with Jesus. And it says, they sat down beside the tree and they fell asleep. But it says, and Jesus went a little farther. 
If you read it in the King James, a little farther. Now what you need to understand about this is this. Most of the times when God brought me to that point where I was about to crush, He wasn't doing that to punish me. He was doing it because it was about to release destiny in me. Any time that I let it crush me, I'm going to be honest with you, I missed the anointing and I failed. But then there were times that when I couldn't handle it anymore and I couldn't take any more, I would remember what Jesus did and hold on just a little bit more. Could it be that you're right on the edge of everything in your life changing? Give it three more minutes. Give it three more seconds. Hold on a little bit longer. Do just a little bit more because what happens when you do is an anointing that you can't fabricate and you can't fake. Well, God will release because when the seed right before it busts, it releases an oil and you will become another man. Now, let me tell you the power of the anointing. Both times Jesus went through this. Wilderness and garden. The Bible says when that anointing was released, both times, it says God sent angels to Him to minister. In the first part of Matthew, it says that sent angels to Him to minister, but it didn't tell what it ministered in Him. When you read it in the uh, book of Luke when He was in the garden, it says, and God sent angels to minister strength. It made Him stronger than he was before. And you can see it in Jesus' life. Alright, because up to that point, Jesus was arguing with Mary about could he turn water into wine. Alright? Then he goes through the thing and then what happens is this he does all the big miracles, but when he gets in the garden, if you look at Jesus' past, anytime he somebody smarted off to him, I love Jesus because it makes anytime somebody smarted off to him, he smarted off back. Uh, the kids now call it, they clap back at them. We called it, um, we called it, we would, um, you know, cut them down or whatever. But they, they um, when Jesus said something, I mean, they'd say something to Jesus, he'd say, get out of here, you fox. Get out of here, you Satan. Get out of here, you serpents. He never let an encounter go by. He didn't, for lack of a better term, smart off. I like to say it more like this, put them in their place. But after the Garden of Gethsemane, something changed. And you can see a character change in Him. Because never before had anybody been able to confront Him and He not put them in His place. After the Garden of Gethsemane, they punched Him. And He didn't say a word. They pulled His beard out. And He didn't say a word. They spit on Him. And they didn't say a word. I want you to know something. It takes a strong man to let somebody punch you and you not say a word. Jesus became super strong when an anointing was released in His life to do what He couldn't do before that moment of that great pressure. So if you're in a wilderness and it's full of devils, you're in the right place at the right time. Because God's about to release something in your life to make you something that you could never be on your own. You need this thing. You need this time. And if you will choose this time to allow God to, that when it's pushing you to your knees, you decide this is not a breaking point for me. This is a praising point for me. And you start praising your way back to your feet. You will find a new strength and a new anointing that will come on you. And that life you wanted to be will become a reality. I love you guys. 
I want to leave you with this. I truly felt the Lord tell me this morning there was somebody at a breaking point. And I'm here to tell you the Lord's going to send ministering angels to give you strength today if you need it. I want to right now invite all of our prayer leaders and all of our prayer warriors up here. i gotta, I got to be honest with you. I can't call down angels today, but these are the closest thing i got, and they are amazing. They have prepared their lives. They seek God on your behalf. They invited you here today because God has something for you, and He wants to change you. So if you're here today and you say, Cricket... I need strength. I need strength. Come up here. Let these guys lay their hands on you. Let them pray the prayer. Let them release the anointing on their life to release the anointing in your life. And your world is about to change. you agree? Say, my world is about to change. If you're not right with God, if you don't know who God is, if life has been beating you up and throwing you away, you need to get right with God today. There's an anointing in this house for you to get saved. All you got to do is just walk up and say, I need you, God. And God will begin to release it into your life. You'll be called a child of God and you'll be led by the Spirit into your destiny. Father God, I ask that you bless everyone. You keep everyone. You cause your face to shine upon everyone. And you give every person in this place supernatural, undoubtable Holy Ghost peace into their world this week. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you.